Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Uh, this week we got some news to break down. Uh, massive, massive trade breaking today. Uh, thank God we decided to wait until Thursday to record. I would have been very pissed off if this broke. Uh, and then we also some pretty big news that broke shortly after we stopped recording last week, which uh, you know kind of fits well because we don't have a ton to talk about other than you know just the games that have been happening since we last recorded but um let's start with the biggest news of the week by far and that's jack eichel finally gets dealt uh it feels like i feel like in my head i'm underrating how big of a deal this is because we haven't seen jack eichel play in so long like he really didn't play much of last year and obviously he's going to be out for another three to five months but he gets sent to the vegas golden knights uh with a third round pick in 2023 uh, and back coming the other way is Peyton Krebs, uh, first round pick in 2022, uh, a third round pick in 2023, I believe. Um, and, uh, Alex Tuck as well. Um, underwhelming return, I would say for Buffalo. Yep. This is one of the, now I guess I should say, I don't know how much the neck injury has affected this, but like true talent, Jack Eichel's got to be one of the like 10 or 15 most valuable assets in the entire NHL, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I think on, on his game, he is a top 10 centerman. Yeah. Uh, and he's under cost control for his entire prime for five years. Yep. And he's young. Yeah, like there's no, I mean, I shouldn't say there's no regression because he's getting a neck surgery. That is a, that is a big thing. But yeah, Nick, I don't, I don't know. It is like, there's not a lot of reason to have faith in the Buffalo Sabres, but I assume there's some sort of risk, like terrible risk, given that they just straight up didn't let him get this surgery. Yeah, like from, I don't know, everything that I've read on it kind of sounds like this is better long term for Eichel. Whereas like the surgery Buffalo wanted to get, he would have been better short term to get him going sooner, but he might have need to get surgery again down the road. Yeah, um, by the sounds of it, the surgery he wants is better for Jack Eichel, but the other surgery is better for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, so um, Vegas, by all accounts, is going to let him get the surgery he wants, uh, I would assume. Um, and then they said he will he will not be playing in the Olympics, which I don't think should be a massive surprise, but. Uh, they said his timetable returns probably three to five months. So it does sound like he should be back for playoff time, which for Vegas is basically all they care about. We'll get into the Vegas side of things as well. There's a lot to break down here. Um, so I'll give you the full de- details here. So Vegas Golden Knights acquire for Jack Eichel from the Buffalo Sabres in exchange for Peyton Krebs forward Alex Tuck, a first round pick in the 2022 or 2023 draft and a second round pick in 2023 or 2024. So that was actually a little different. And this is on NHL.com than I thought it was, to be honest. Uh, I was under the impression that there was a pick swap. Um, Yeah. uh, yeah, Okay. I don't know what NHL.com is doing here because a third round pick was sent to the Vegas goal. All right. So NHL.com is classic, just absolutely trash. Uh, I guess I shouldn't shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but the 2022 first round pick is top 10 protected. So lottery protected, basically. Uh, if it if for whatever reason Vegas's pick ends up in the top 10, uh, Buffalo will get an unprotected 2023 first. And I believe then it would be a 2024 second round pick. 
is when that would is when that would turn into it. Um, so uh, it seems unlikely that it'll be top ten, obviously, but uh, I guess you can never say never. Yeah, it's not impossible. They have started pretty poorly, but like, let's be honest, that's uh, that's pretty unlikely to happen. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I'm really confused here if NHL.com actually has the wrong trade details here. That would be the most damn thing in the freaking world. But because um, they're saying uh, a second rounder in 2023 was sent to actually that okay that's. Let me check out. This is bad podcasting. I apologize, but um, okay. No, so it is a second round. Okay, so that makes the deal a little, little better. Not, not a ton, but um, so Vegas sent a second rounder in 2023, but gets a third rounder. That makes more sense than the what was originally reported this morning that they were swapping third rounders in 2023, which made just no sense to me from a Buffalo standpoint because Buffalo loses that trade off. Yeah, the fact that having to think Buffalo giving up a pick was hilarious. Yeah, I'm surprised they had to give up a third regardless, but at least they move up a couple positions here. Um, Let's get into this from the Buffalo perspective. Obviously, a long time coming. Uh, (laughs) Underwhelming, to say the least, I think. Um, I was on Twitter yesterday saying there was rumors of a Matt Kachuk trade uh, from Calgary. Now, that has been squashed by multiple sources. Uh, that I've seen publicly and privately now um, have said that really wasn't true. It was a big smoke tree and Kachuk was never actually on the table from Calgary. Um, But this is even with that room being out there, like I was just, I thought this would start with a first Krebs, maybe another first, but if not another first, then a second, fourth and like sixth or something like that. I was shocked that it was only a first and a second Krebs and then, they had to give up a third as well because it's it's literally like they're probably and that second for third is probably going to be about an eight spot difference if that it could be a two spot difference literally and that wouldn't shock anyone i don't think yeah um like krebs is a great prospect uh i would be surprised if he's not a very good nhler but like i don't like that's gonna be it's gonna be a late first rounder you would assume i just it's underwhelming is the only way I can really put it. Yeah. So it, it's on the face of it. I think it's aggressively underwhelming unless you think Krebs is like the best prospect in the entire world, which I mean, the Buffalo Sabres probably do if they're making this trade and like Krebs is good, but. Even that, like, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I I guess if you think Krebs is like the best prospect that hasn't been playing full-time NHL minutes, sure. But like, that's just so risky to begin with, right? Like, all your eggs in that basket is tough, especially like Krebs, Krebs has been good. He's got a really late birthday, which is kind of scary. He's got other things going for him. He's got that top pick as a prior and everything like that, but. It's not like he's been lighting up the NHL either, albeit in a super small sample, but I don't know. This, this seems like a lot of faith in Peyton Krebs, and I think this is going to end up being really unfair to the player. Yeah, like I, I think he's going to be a good player, but it's just, you just, again, you traded what in his in his peak is a top 10, some would argue top five. I don't think he's quite shown that, but I say he's definitely top 10 centerman in Jack Eichel, and it was under cross control, and I don't know. Like, it's just kind of just like they were in a bad spot. 
Because yeah, I don't envy the position at all. No, because like teams were obviously going to lowball them, and I, I will say I'm shocked that it only came down to two teams in a bit of a bidding war. I, I think that is a an indictment on a, the whole league. Yeah, that's kind of nuts to me. Like how again, and it comes down to how much they value Krebs. Because if they're extremely high on Krebs, if they literally think he's like the best prospect not in the NHL then no, this offer would not be easy to beat. But, like, it seems like this offer should have been beatable by someone, right? Yeah, and I, I have heard the rumor that, like, they were asking way more from the Rangers because they were trading him in conference, which is the stupidest thing I think I have ever heard. And, I, like, I don't even believe it's not true. Like, it's so many NHL teams seem to do this, where it's like, we can't trade him in division. It's like, why the hell not? If you've identified you need to rebuild and he's not a part of your future, take whatever the hell gets you the best package. Yeah, exactly. This is literally the most important decision that has been made for the Buffalo Sabres in the past, like, multiple years. Yeah. So, you know, going forward here for Buffalo, it's not like they're in, like, considering they have to basically strip it all down again. It's not like they're in the worst of spots. They have three first rounders this year, which are is supposed to be a pretty deep draft. Now, both of like they have Florida's and uh, Vegas's. Both of them are top ten protected. So, if either one of them is a top ten pick, that goes to twenty twenty three, which isn't the worst thing in the world either, because that draft is supposed to be really good, and then you get an unprotected pick. But it's very, very likely with how good, especially Florida, how hot they've started. It's very, very, very likely that. Uh, neither of these picks are going to be in the top 10. Very likely both of them are probably like bottom 10 of the first round. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, it's not horrible. If you have, say, they're probably going to finish with a bottom five or a top five pick. So if you have picks, say, four, 22, and 30, we'll say, there's definitely worse way. And then you have Cousins and Krebs up front already. Um, you know, I, they really have to hope that Lean can just take a step forward on the blue line this year. You know, th- there's worse ways to go about this, and they have three second rounders next year now. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a horrible start to your rebuild. It's just, I keep using the word, but it's underwhelming because of how good of a player Eichel was. Yeah, 100%. Now, we kind of talked about this, and I tweeted it. I don't know if I articulated it well, but like, Every time a star player like this gets traded, um, a lot of people, including us, usually say uh, this is a really underwhelming return. And I think GMs intuitively understand that there's a nonlinearity in between output and value. But I think GMs think that nonlinearity comes way before it does. Like the difference between like a 95th percentile player and like a 100th percentile player is basically impossible to overpay for. It's astronomically large. I think GMs act as if that nonlinearity comes when you're dealing with like meh third liners to like good second liners, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like I, I think so. Um, yeah, I like you, you can always get decent like depth players and depth forward for low picks. And then all of a sudden when you're dealing with a top six forward or a top four defenseman, it's like, boom, first round pick and a prospect. And then the only difference to get Jack fucking Eichel is that prospect is marginally better and there's a second in there. Yeah, like it's whatever the arbitrary definition. And then the the weirdest thing is the arbitrary definition of top six feels like it changes where it's like 
third liners are described as top six guys. Yeah. All you know, the time. Like he can play in your top six, top six is a justification of a top six guy. It's like, okay, but you don't want him in your top six, ideally. Yeah. And, exactly. and yeah. And I had a similar thought, but it was a little different in terms of um, my thing is that I think there might be, and obviously we talk about uh, um, uh market inefficiencies. Sorry. I lost my train of yeah. thought there. Um, you know, we talk about market inefficiencies and how important it is to have cap space going forward. And I think one of the reasons might be the ability to trade for guys on term uh, because, yeah. and obviously there's only a certain amount and that's why maybe it is just more rare because how many, how often do you see a Jack Eichel type get put up on the market? Almost never. Pretty much never. And if the problem with evaluating it too is, if a Jack Eichel comes on the market because this isn't basketball, it means something has gone disastrously wrong. Yes. Um, but that being said, five years of term, you would think it, if you're doing it logically, if you get a guy for four months and GMs lose their mind every trade deadline and give up picks and prospects for frankly overrated players half the time but just anyone at a deadline for three months four months exactly nick felino you know i mean but i mean like look at at like um the forsberg trade for martin e rat like there's just throughout history every team has done it multiple times where they give up a stud prospect for a guy who ends up playing fourth line minutes for them as they get eliminated in the second round or whatever you would think if that's the if a first and a prospect is a cost for like Taylor Hall at the deadline. And that wasn't even Taylor Hall's, but what it should be for Taylor Hall, second in the prospect, you would think if you're adding five more years onto a player who's better, even if the value doesn't, like, even if it's not five, like no one's asking for five first round picks or anything, but you think it would increase more than just a second rounder or a a pick swap. And there's a logical inconsistency there too. Whereas if you look at contract modeling, People always say things like, oh, the eighth year gets that term down. But there's overwhelming evidence that as you increase term independent of player quality, uh, the value of a contract that the GM signed goes up, which means GMs do understand that concept. Yeah, and they just – and maybe my point is more that it's probably highlights how idiotic GMs are every deadline. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe it is just a deadline thing. But not, even apart from the deadline, do you remember in 2018 when everyone fell in love with Josh Manson? Yep. If they traded Josh Manson then, the return would not have been much different than Jack Eichel's return. True or false? Uh, true. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, no, they would be first in a prospect and then picks be- of some sort, right? Like. Yeah, exactly. The, and the prospect would probably have an NHLE of like five less than Peyton Krebs or something. But yeah, it'd be the same kind of deal, except the difference is instead of a number three defenseman, you'd be getting Jack fucking Eichel. Yeah. And, and so, you know, obviously we'll get to the team that actually landed him. But that, again, like it's just it's astonishing to me that more teams weren't in on Jack Eichel, um, you know, especially if it's what like how is Anaheim not trying to do this deal? And, like, I, I get Anaheim's kind of in a nothing spot, but, like, how are the Ducks not, like, all over this deal because they're so mediocre? And, and like, if your argument is the Ducks need a hard reset and they shouldn't be trading away anything, sure, I can agree with that. But I don't think their plan is to do that either. They're just going to be as mediocre as they possibly can, it feels like. 
yeah, like if they're trying to win games next year or whatever, this is absolutely the move. And I think they even believe they're trying to win games next year and this year, even though yeah. they're not going. So, and I don't want to hear the cap space BS either because it was the golden Knights that landed up. And yeah, obviously it closest teams to the league in the cap. Yeah, literally they are in, they're going to be, I really hope. Well, actually I don't because I don't want to hear the complaining about it. I wonder though, if there's going to be as much whining about them as there was Tampa last year, they are going to be $10 million over the cap in playoffs. Yep. Their, yeah, their, yeah. their cap hit right now is $91.8 million, which yep. is 10.4 over the cap. You excited for another uh, playoffs of that? I'm just curious to see if people are actually going to complain or not. Is like I think they will, but I don't know. Yeah, they probably will, unless they get bounced in the first round or something. That's they're the thing. If they don't really go deep, fun. then people yeah. won't care. But um, and and I get like part of part of the reason that Vegas was able to make this uh, trade is a Eichel is on LTIR. Uh, Tuck obviously was on LTIR, so he was accruing space, but he went back the other way, which will free up four point five, I believe, um, when uh, um, he comes off. Mark Stone is now on LTIR. Max Pacioretty is on LTIR, and Nolan Patrick and Zach Whitecloud are on IR. So. Um, they have $27 million on LTIR right now accruing some space. So that is how they're fitting it in this year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they juggle it going forward. Uh, Riley Smith makes $5 million and Matthias Yammerk makes two. If we're just looking into the offseason, those guys will probably both be gone. I'm curious to see. It, it probably depends how quick Eichel comes back and what their cap situation looks like. But if Pacioretty, Stone, and Eichel all look like they're ready to return before the trade deadline or around the trade deadline, I really wonder if someone like Riley Smith gets moved out for someone cheaper to try and make space if they need it. I don't know if they will need the space or not, but that might have to be an option for them. Yeah, which would suck if you had to do that going into the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And and unless you can find a player, but like Riley Smith seems he's an assistant on the team. He seems to be really liked. So uh, I highly doubt they want to move him. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely going to be some pieces moving. But um, and I, I guess we should mention quick Alex Tuck was a part of the deal. The reason I'm I don't really care is because he's just he's going to be like 30 by the time Buffalo wants to be competing. He's a he's a fine player, but he's another first round pick the way that I think of it, I guess. Cause I like, you could get a first round pick for talk. Yeah. But it's easy to be underwhelmed about though. Cause like if the Leafs added talk, you'd be like really happy or whatever, but he doesn't do a fucking thing for Buffalo's Stanley cup odds now or over the next five year time horizon. Yeah. And like the thing is too, a, I don't think Buffalo's going to want to trade him, which is just uh, that's on them to be fair. But he also has like, again, like, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, he could come be a, a mentor or whatever for the guys, and then you can move him if you need it. Um, but he, he has like, he, he has so many years left where it's like, like he's got four more years after this one. I'm sure teams would take that, but I, I don't see as big of a market as if they let him play for a couple of years and then trade him. But the problem is Buffalo's so bad. You ruin, you risk ruining his value. Yeah, I mean, you managed to ruin Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall's value. I would be very worried about doing so with Alex Tuck as well. Yeah, so I I don't know what they do. He's a fine piece, but, like, I don't know. I I thought people were kind of overrating Alex Tuck 
like yeah, soccer. I like he's he's good. classic guy. You're good because he's you're great because he's on like your third line or whatever. Even though yeah. like his true talent is that you know you can play in your top six pretty much anywhere as long as he's not. The oh best yeah, he'll, there. you'll probably be stapled on Buffalo's top line for the next three years. Yep, and even a contender could have him on their first line easily and stuff like that. But he'll be Buffalo's best player, maybe. I would assume so. It depends how Cousins and Krebs develop, but right now I would assume so. Yeah, like he he is. If you think about like a game betting perspective, he would move the line more than anyone else in that lineup at the moment, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, so um, let's get to Vegas part now. I'll love this from Vegas's perspective. Um, this is awesome. Very high risk, high reward, obviously, with just how much they have gone in over the past couple of years, but I absolutely love it. This is why you, and obviously they had an easier job because they started from scratch, but for rebuilding teams, you know how like you hear fans like Ottawa for the past couple of years, oh, they have so many picks. Why would they, uh, you know, you, you got to trade them away for people now. It's like, no, 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 no. You keep them. You can either turn them into future picks or players because you can trade those prospects. And that is exactly what the Vegas Golden Knights have done. And I don't care that they're not building internally. They are getting the best players on the market. Um, obviously, this will backfire on them eventually. There's going to be a reckoning in a couple of years when, you know, Petrangelo, I mean, he's been off to an awful start this year. So hopefully it's not the, the bridge for him already. But if they can get another three years out of Petrangelo, sure, eventually that contract's going to look bad. But who cares right now? You know, you're trying to yeah. win a cup. And you the have a team, thing is, they have a team to do it. Yeah, and they got so much term. Like, and yeah, and it make no mistake, it is coming. These guys are like the LA Rams of hockey at this point. But when you do go to rebuild or retool, imagine you can kickstart that off with a Jack Eichel trade. Yeah. And, and like, even just or like, you just run it into the ground, at which point you just say, hey, we got five years with this guy and we tried to win a cup. And what happens, happens. But they, like, they have term on all these great players. So they they have like valuable assets too. Yeah, and like I um, that's the thing. It's like I was talking to someone on Twitter today, and they had mentioned they don't really have a future. And um, it was thinking about a context a little context a little bit because my immediate response was, um, I don't know. I would say having Stone, Pacioretty, Eichel, uh, Petrangelo, Theodore, and Leonard all locked in for four to seven years is a very good future to have. Yep, I'd rather prospect pool. That's for damn sure. I think you just cut out a little bit there, but I. Oh yeah. I said, I'd rather have that than a good prospect pool. Yeah, obviously. And, and to their, they, that's, they agree totally. And they said, yeah, it's just eventually there will be a rebuild. But um, I, I said that as it's totally fair, but that's kind of what, you know, every cup contender will have eventually. And I would say it's been fair to say that, um, you know, Vegas, I mean, they made the cup finals four years ago. They've been a cup contender for four years now whether we thought about them like that or not, but definitely for the past two years, they've been a favorite for the cup in terms of like top six, top seven, four years ago, they they made the cup final. And even three years ago, I think was the crazy San Jose game where they got eliminated. So I would say if you've already looked at that, where they've been cup contenders, this will be their fifth year and they get four more years of that in this cycle window. There's a nine year run where you like, there's a, there's a very good chance that they win a cup over the next four years. I would say they probably got to be one of the favorites. Like top three, maybe. Yeah, they might be top one after this deal. It's probably down in, you know, like, again, it it depends how much you trust the depth on Colorado, basically. 
Yeah, because like Jack Eichel has nuts numbers, and all of those things came on the Sabers. Yeah, uh, like imagine how he's gonna look with Mark Stone and like Shea Theodore break. Like Jack Eichel's had what two defensemen over the course of his entire career that could make a breakout pass. Yeah, something now, like that. Now he's going to a team that's biggest issue right now is Alex Petrangelo isn't playing good enough. Which, like, you would assume is probably going to regress at least a little bit? Yeah, oh, a, a lot, I would think. He's he's old, but he's still Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, he's 31, which, like, obviously there's always the risk you can fall off a cliff. But, um, like, last year he was really good still, so... Um, yeah, exactly. You probably didn't forget how to play overnight. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, like this, uh, this is their year to go all in for it, for sure. Like after this, they're going to have to really take, and they kind of already are, but they're really going to have to take the Toronto model as well, where it's like yeah. they basically need to find Jason Spetzes of the world and just play them for 700K. Yeah. but Which I don't um, think there's anything wrong with that. Like, yeah, you could do a lot worse than saying, hey, do you see the Jeff Skinner contract that everybody hates? Yeah, or Guess like the Casey, the Casey Sezikis contract. Like, I, he's a fine player, but, like, I would rather have Jack Eichel at $10 million than four Casey Sezikis at two point five. Exactly. And not like you have Jack Eichel. You can convince the bargain bin free agents. Be like, hey, come play with him. And then cash out. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, yeah, no, I, I love this deal from Vegas. It's all in, obviously kind of boom or bust, but that's when you're in this position, that's what you should be doing. So, um, and there's a great trickle down effect too, where they just went from having like the worst center core of all the contenders to like a very competent one. Yeah. Like William Carlson's a very good two C. Great two C. It was just sucked when it was only Chandler Stevenson behind him. That was tough. Yeah. Now, and like Chandler oh, Stevenson Carlson. is a solid three C now too. Right. Like, Exactly. Eichel, Carlson, Stevenson all of a sudden looks great. It's better than plenty of other teams that fancy themselves contenders, uh, center core. Yeah. And then, you know, on the fourth line, you got Nolan Patrick or Brett Howden. It's like, whatever, like, there you go. Like suddenly Nolan Patrick doesn't have to be your three C and it's like, well, that's a massive whole fix. So the, the trickle down effect is huge. Yeah, exactly. And you didn't lose the fact that you still have Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty on your wings. Yeah, and, like, this really – I'm going to be curious to see what they do. I, I'm assuming they'll load up the top line to, you know, get Eichel some great teammates. But, you know, they could play that stevenson Patcheretti stone line and have Eichel play alongside, like, um, Dad, Dadanov and – trying to think of who else who else would be on the wing. Like, Nicholas uh, Waugh or something like that, too. Like um, – you know, like Dadanov would probably be one of what Jack Eichel's top three best wingers. Yeah, especially if you just like discount the fact that for whatever reason Taylor Hall blew up. It's not a very illustrious group. Yeah, so like they have the ability to really run three lines deep if they want to, or they can stack up their top six, like you know, and run and run that. So they, they really have options. And um, yeah, to me, I, I honestly. I think this puts them really, really close to Colorado as cup favorites. If not, maybe it might even put them a little bit over the edge for me. Let's look at this. I actually haven't looked at the Stanley Cup odds after this. Me either. It's but, cool um, to see a deal that actually probably changes cup odds because, God, those are uncommon in the NHL. <laughs> yes, very, very uncommon. And I, I granted, I think I'm just a little lower on Colorado's depth as well than uh, – 
especially analytical models are, they love the Colorado Avalanche depth and I've never really understood. I don't think it's horrible. It's just like most models have it like best in the league. And I, I don't think it's anything close to that. Yeah, it's kind of tough because it's they're so heavily weighted towards their defense and it's really hard to give bottom of the lineup players credit for being defensive gods. Mm-hmm. Vegas is worse than Florida at draft games right now. I wonder how heavy that is with Florida's 9-0 start. Yeah, it's Colorado, Florida, Vegas, and Tampa tied. Yeah. The other thing is Vegas does have – it's – they're probably going to make it, but with how many injuries, it's not a shoe in that Vegas just walks to the playoffs. Yeah, there's still like a 5% chance that they miss or whatever. The division is so bad, I don't see it. But I think that would probably be what hurts their playoff, like the cup odds, because like Florida with this 9-0 start or whatever they're on, they basically locked themselves into a playoff spot already. They have to blow up. massively right like like just disgustingly blow up for them to miss the playoffs now yeah they're eight oh and one in their first nine so they've got 17 points if we're saying what a 96 point pace usually makes it yeah something like that is that fair like i I think it's usually some obvious if the division's a little weaker maybe it's 92 93 but I, i think it'll be about 96 this year we'll say with the wild cards because obviously the Atlantic is very good. So they already only need 79 more points in 71 games. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, they, I, I can't stress how, like, they basically just have to play 500 hockey. Yeah, they just have to not suck. They could lose just about every game in overtime from now on in and probably still make the playoffs. Like that's a, and, and that's how it, like I, I, there's a common saying you can't make uh, you can't make the playoffs in September or in October, but you can miss them. And it's kind of true, but at the same time, I don't know if it is because if you get off to a start like this, you make it insanely hard to miss the playoffs. Yeah. You can't literally make the playoffs, but you can't literally miss them either. At which yeah. point the inverse like, of the statement is equally as true as the, yeah, and like I, I do get it. Like it, it, but it's true on both extremes, right? Like the Canadians have killed themselves. They're not making the playoffs this year. They were pressed to do it before. They're at the exact opposite. They basically have to, you know, win sixty-five percent of their games now. Yeah, which they're just not going to do. No, like they need ninety points in uh, seventy-one games. I want to say. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's just not going to happen for Montreal. No, so like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I um, getting back to Vegas. I, I think it's a great trade. Uh, obviously, you know they they have their whole top line is out on LTIR right now, so that's not great. But if they can weather this storm until it sounds like Stone will probably be back mid late November because they put them on retroactive LTIR. So I think the twelfth is the earliest he can come off. So I would assume he'll be coming off around then. And if Pacioretty comes off a little later, and then you get Eichel back in March or whatever, like. As, as long as they can stay afloat, that's all they need to do. It's kind of like Tampa last year. Doesn't matter if you win this division or not, stay afloat. And that's all that really playoffs is all that matters for this team. Yeah. So exactly. Um, yeah, I love it. That's this has got to be the biggest trade we've had what years, right? Like Carlson or 
own trade. Yeah, and but even this, this is bigger to me. Yeah, maybe like, Carlson is, would be the only. The yeah, market. Carlson, I guess, just because of how good he was when he got traded. But like, this is a twenty-three-year-old franchise centerman, or maybe not for elite centerman, being traded in it like with five years of contract. That's the big thing. You rarely ever see guys get traded with like more than one or two years left on their deal. Yeah, the term is almost unprecedented, at least in like this recent era of hockey. Yeah, like even like the line A for Dubois deal last year, they both had like what one one or two years left, one year left. So exactly. And both of them at their best have been like slightly better than Jack Eichel at his worst that we've seen in the NHL. Yeah, so absolutely massive trade. Uh, love it for Vegas. Don't really like it for Buffalo, but it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Uh, a couple other big signings this uh, this week too. Um, one we just missed literally happened that night. Uh, I think this will be the one we'll talk about more. Actually, let's do the easy one in my opinion first. Okay, Adam Fox, nine point five million dollars. Uh, I believe it was eight years, four, six, seven years. Sorry, seven years, nine point five. Um, there's not a ton to say. Like this reminds me of the Makar one, the Barkov deal. It's just, yeah, this is, he's great. This is great. Like the team paid it. He got paid. He's going to be worth this. There's not a ton to break down. Yeah. This is one of those contracts where like the GM who signs, it gets a ton of credit, but also it's just like, eh, I feel like any GM could have done this. Um, awesome contract for an awesome player. Fans should be pumped. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you worried about his lack of sample at all? Um, it's not worth like discounting completely, but given how dominant he's been, no. I think, yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, like, it, and it's not like he hasn't played it. Like, he's on 135 NHL games now. Um, but that being said, like, he played 70 in his first year and 55 in the second year. His 55 were just absolutely dominant. Like he deserved the Norris last year. Um, yeah. But he's been off to a good start this year too. You know, 11 points in, in 10 games, which is obviously unreal as a defenseman. And he's not absolutely crushing possession, but he's positive in every metric basically. So, um, you know, and I would only expect that to go up because it's so hard. Like using RAPM with 176 minutes of time on even strength time on ice is just, it's almost not worth it. It really isn't. I've seen a lot of people posting these. And the problem is, too, the way the regression model will work, like, it's so early in the season that you can have changes in the guy's value. A, because the lambda will swing wildly at this point, which is a thing that goes into the back end of the model. But B, like, even if just a team you've played has a, absolutely crushes a good team, like, that's going to start messing with your results, too, because it's so early and – it changes everybody's results. Like there's like a huge trickle down effect throughout the league. And like, it's just, it just doesn't mean anything at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's fun to look at, but yeah, don't definitely don't be putting any meaningful like impact behind it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I, I really don't have much more to say on this contract. Uh, yeah. It's a good deal. Dom had him worth a max contract for like most of this deal. Yeah, I, like, I was I was shocked at how, like, even by the back, I mean, he is only 23, so this takes him until he's about 30. But, yeah, most models I saw, even at the back end of this, were like, oh, yeah, he's going to be basically worth this, maybe more. Yeah, the whole way through. And yeah. uh, good for him. 
hard to turn down generational wealth guaranteed. Especially while you're living in New York, I could uh, definitely picture a worse scenario. Yeah, there's always like a subsection of people that are like, oh, why didn't you hold out for more money and stuff? But God, at 23, it'd be hard to turn down $66 million guaranteed. Yeah. And again, like it's but like when you, they say it about Toronto all the time. You could play 10 games as Toronto Maple Leaf. As long as you leave on good terms, you have a job for life. Yeah. Because you will get all the book signings and just random like, companies will want you as a pop-up appearance all the time. I'm pretty sure it is very, very similar as a New York Ranger. Yep. There's very few places you can play hockey in the United States and have people care about you. Uh, New York is one of them. Yeah. And when you are the Norris leading defenseman of the New York Rangers, it is uh, even better. Sorry. I don't know if that picked up on the mic or not, but um, (laughs) uh, it's yeah. So I I don't know how much more to say. Good for him. Um, Here's the more interesting one. Morgan Riley signs an eight-year deal, $7.5 million with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, it will kick in when he is 29 years old. Take him till he is 36. Uh, it is a $2.5 million raise on what he's earning now on a $5 million cap hit. So it's really not as aggressive of a swing on their books as I think people are making it out to be, um, especially because Phil Kessel's 1.25 is coming off. Now, you can't say it's not like he only has a $1.5 million raise because that's not how it works. You could use Kessel's money for someone else. <laughs> yeah. As but if the, you just had they, to give that money to Morgan Riley. Yeah. But the 1.2 is coming off. So when you're looking at, uh, you know, that's basically they decided to allocate half of the raise is that 1.2. Um, and then honestly, like, I just don't see them re-signing Ilya Mikheyev either. So there's 1.6. So um it, it squeezes their cap definitely a little bit, but um, it's not a massive raise. I am more worried about, I, I, I'm, I'm very torn on this contract because it's one of those where I don't think it's a good EV like play in the long term. Yeah. I don't even think it's, I don't think it's close to a plus EV like long run contract. No. That being said, it's I understand why it would be a bold move to walk away when you're theoretically in your cup window right now. I do think Morgan Riley gets a little bit underrated. Yes. Um, now, because I think he's you, horrible defensively. Yes, but, but he is very, very good offensively. Yeah, and those forwards need to have the puck to do all those beautiful things. There are very few people on this earth better at getting said forwards the puck than Morgan Riley. Yes. Um, now, I think you still put it the best that I've seen where it's a classic. This contract, even for the next couple of years, could be positive value, but a bad contract in terms of if Rasmus Sandin does develop the way the Leafs want him and do exactly what Morgan Riley is doing, Suddenly paying $7.5 million for Morgan Riley when you could be allocating that money differently doesn't look so good. Yeah, it's it's that thing because if Sandine doesn't take a step, your best defensive prospect in some time has busted. That is a bad thing. Um, if Sandine does take a big step, Morgan Riley is all. He's not obsolete. Again, he's still a very good player, but like, Morgan Riley without PP1 
is definitely not a $7.5 million defenseman. No. And I don't know if he will get taken off the first power play unit. Um, that being said, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very torn on it. Like it's tough. And it sucks too. Cause Dubas like negotiated like, well, this is the thing everybody's been crying for. Morgan Riley would have gotten at least a million dollars more than this on the open market. Oh, given the contracts we saw this summer, I think he was a shoe in for nine minimum. Yeah. Like he's yeah, demanding the Darnell Nurse deal as a, yeah, like relative to the contracts that have been signed, this was a discount for sure in terms of yeah. what the market has been. Now, again, that still doesn't mean it's a great deal for the team. No, those are two very different things. But you know what it kind of reminds me of? I think it's like worse, but it's the logic is similar. It reminds me of the Landeskog contract. Where it's like, there is no upside to this deal. The best case scenario is just that Morgan Riley is worth this contract. But yeah. they're just kind of stomaching it because they think they can win in the next three years. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would say it's a little worse than Landeskog one because, again, there was no internal replacement coming for Landeskog in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. and I they're, think Landeskog's slightly better. Yes, but there, there might be an internal replacement here. But I, I definitely do agree where it's – and like – He's a huge part of the room and everything like that too, right? Like, yeah, he was probably third in line for captain, second once Matthews took himself out of the running. Yeah, literally, and like I still think people to this day argue he could be captain. Um, yeah, he very well could be. And in he, the world where they don't sign John Tavares, he's definitely the captain right now. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and he's like a great person. Every he's a very likable human being, and like he, Toronto maybe. Yes, and you know, and, and they were talking. If he plays out this contract and stays relatively healthy, he's going to be like the all-time games played leader for the Leafs. I'm pretty sure, at least for defensemen. Yeah, which is kind of nuts. Yeah, and like I think, like even if he stays at just like slightly below his career average for points over the duration of this contract, or like even I, I think it was like ten points below his career average, he will probably be like the leading point scorer for the defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs by like a wide margin, which is crazy to think. Yeah. The one other thing, we say this about a lot of deals, and the lease would be broke, so the uh, lease would be over the cap, so this would be illegal. God, it sucks that this deal takes an uh, extra year to kick in. Yeah. Um, him, it's, it's weird because, like, 25, 26, 27 still kind of feels young enough, and then 28, 29, 30, you're like, oh, that is – you're you're playing with fire signing guys yeah. long term at that age, right? Like even though it's like a two year difference. Yeah, it just feels because he'll be a 29 year old on the first year of this contract. He's technically 28 when it kicks in, but then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, March wow, 9th he he turns 28 this year, so he will be 28 for half of it, 29 for half of it. Yeah, and then you're talking about 29 to 36, and that's an ugly age to sign defenseman. Yeah, um, so. I don't know. It's, I understand it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do. I kind of understand the logic. Of, like, so the, the one pushback I heard from, like, I thought mainstream media loved this contract. I'm definitely not as high on it as that. Um, yeah. I, I think it was fine, justifiable enough, but like, 
I also think it's fair to say I was almost expecting something different from Dubas, the quote-unquote forward-thinking GM or whatever. This is what every hockey GM does. Yeah, if you sign somebody who's supposedly forward-thinking, they try, you would think they're going to try to get you away from a deal like this, not walk you into it. And And again, they they could win the Cup this year, and no one cares, but... God, it feels like this made them better in the short run, but it's really going to close that window. And we often forget how long windows stay open when you have a lot of really good, really young forwards. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't want to put this in the air for Leafs fans either, but the other thing I have you know, heard is that the team kind of thinks they have a two or three year window here while Matthews, Marner, and Nylander are on this contract because who knows what's going to happen when they're up. So, you know, maybe they're just focusing on this year and the next two and saying, F it. We'll see what happens after that. And honestly, if you're Dubas, if you don't have playoff success this year or next year, you're probably gone anyways. Yeah, Dubas Dubas will be fired if they lose in the first round. I think if they lose in the first round this year, he's going to have one more summer to trade probably one of the big four. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he gets one summer where it's like literally blow something up, make us worse on purpose uh, because we're mad. Yeah. (laughs) And then (laughs) <laughs> that's but, it yeah yeah then then that'll be his last shot um what I, i'll be a re- really curious if they win one round to get bounced is that going to be enough to keep the sharks off for a little bit for even another year i think so but it, yeah it, it probably depends who they lose to in round two and how they lose if they lose a heartbreaker in game seven to tampa i don't think anyone's going to be complaining yeah or even if they lose like to Boston in 7 people will be more just pissed off that they lost to Boston i think than like yeah but if they go get like curb stomped by florida uh, i don't i don't even it doesn't matter if they get curb stomped by anyone in the second round and get a four nothing sweep people are going to be just as pissed off yeah but um yeah I, I will say the one i think one valid criticism of this team too is um uh you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over <laughs> expecting a different result and that is definitely what Dubas has been doing. And I, I don't like we've talked about multiple times. I don't uh, blame him for not training someone to make it just for the sake of making a trade. But if you did want to shake things up, getting your five million dollars in cap space and then having about seven million dollars because of the Kessel stuff and maybe Mikheyev to go find something else and move on from Morgan Riley would be a way to shake things up without just purposely making your team worse. Yeah, that's fair. Also, side note. Uh, the Big Bang Theory made that quote really famous. That quote is increasingly worse the noisier the environment you're in. And hockey is one of the environments where that quote is terrible. Yes, you need to use context when using that quote. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the Toronto Maple Leafs have ran out the same roster every single year. Yeah, and it's also not like they're going into the season as like the sixth most likely team to win their own division and losing. Yeah, exactly. So um, they're losing yeah, so, like coin flips. Yeah, I, I that is definitely a good point because yeah, if, especially just like my thing too is just like people like, well, this is year five of them losing now. It's like, okay, but the first two years you didn't expect them to win. You were just happy they made the playoffs the first year. You were yep. pretty happy they made the playoffs and took Boston to seven the second year. You were slightly you know disappointed they lost to seven to Boston the third year, but that Boston team went to the finals. So people were yep. like, oh, okay. And then it was just the Columbus and Montreal series that had been real disasters for this team. But like, it's they were been jokes. two years of like actually losing series you should have won. Yes, it's been two years of losses where you're like, is this a problem? Yes, and 
But the thing is, if they wouldn't have made the playoffs against Washington, which no one really expected them to make playoffs that year. If they missed then, a little bit to Tampa. Yeah, and then Pretty 2017, they just barely make the playoffs instead of being in the playoffs for since January, basically, it was that year. Uh, and then they lose to like a Washington type team that year. And then you lose to Boston and then you lose to Boston again. Suddenly people are like, oh yeah, no, it's only been one bad year. So it's like, yeah. and again, like, that's not what happened. So you can't use that as a total excuse, but yeah, this idea to me that it's been the same team running out there and losing gate series. They should have won for five years straight. is just some insane revisionist history. Oh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I hate that insanity quote when it applied to hockey. Yeah, especially because it's like, like you can apply it to hockey in terms of signing a 31-year-old to a six-year deal. Yeah, some some trends are like have been shown to be legitimately stupid, but that logic applied everywhere. All of a sudden, the Washington Capitals blew it up in like 2012, and then Ovi probably does win a cup, but it's for some other team. That's the thing I don't understand is like we're three years removed from the most cursed team on the planet winning a cup. Yep. And like, yeah, the, like, we think the Leafs have it bad. Like, the Capitals were winning repetitive presidents' trophies and getting bounced. The Capitals were like a 112 point team and getting bounced or whatever. Like, it was just insane. I, I don't know if this is true, but they were like over a long period of time, probably one of the best teams since the like Gretzky Oilers in the regular season. I bet you that run from 20. 10 to 2017 the year before they won the cup i bet you yeah. those seven years in the if you took any other team over a seven-year period in the cap era no one would have more points than that yeah the the penguins would probably be one of the only teams with a run like that maybe and the like Sharks. maybe if you're going by points percentage the lightning but even the lightning have had up and like they missed the playoffs one year yeah, and they weren't that good uh, pre this sort of like they went pre to the year they in 2015. Missed. Yeah, and then and they missed. Had, they missed because they were pretty mediocre and they really, keep, really injured that year too. Yeah, and then 2016, I want or sorry, 2017, I want to say they were pretty good. I'm trying to think of 2017. 2017. No, they. I don't even think they. Because they had like a couple down years. Boston's had a couple down years. Yeah, because 2017 was the Sens run. Um, where? Oh shit! Now I'm now I'm again. Sorry, bad podcasting here. But yeah, like getting back to that watch, like that Washington team was the most like dominant team over like even a five take a five-year stretch of that washington team i bet you almost no team beats it since yeah, like exactly. the pre yeah like maybe detroit or like the gretzky oilers or the and the team islanders like in a team worse than all five of those peak washington teams won the cup in a washington capital sweater that was objectively not even close to the best capitals team we've said and no just because the one they won the cup doesn't mean we actually have to pretend it's better than the rest of them yeah, exactly. Um, hmm, Tampa missed in 2017 as well. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't I actually know that. Tampa had a pretty dominant run over time too. They're probably up there, but 
Yeah, but I mean, they missed in both 2016 and 2017. Oh, wait, no, 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 okay, never mind. I, I apologize. 2017. Yeah, 20, I was saying, yeah, okay. I was thinking for some reason 2016 playoffs were the year the Leafs made it, but it was 2017. Yeah, yeah, it was 16, 17. So yeah, okay, kind of yeah. Confused. Yeah, because then in 18, I think they went back to the conference finals, if I'm not mistaken, because they lost to the Capitals in six or seven games, six games. Yeah. And then, and then, then they nine, 19, they got swept after that absolutely dominant year, and then they went cup, cup, which uh, – not a bad two seasons. Yeah, not bad at all. I... <laughs> um, I don't have too much more. I guess we should really touch uh, quickly just on the update on the Chicago Blackhawks situation. Uh, so it came out, and I touched on it in the intro last week, that Kevin Day off has actually kept his job. Um, they basically, the league deemed that uh, he wasn't in a senior leadership role because he was the assistant GM. Uh, I have heard people, including like, uh, the guys on puck soup like Wyshynski and Lambert came out and said it's definitely fair that he probably should not have as much blame as like the GM or the head coach which I will agree with but they also mentioned and this is a good point too there's no way no punishment should come out of this he still knew about it yeah no punishment is insane yeah like like there the are very least, like relative levels of bad but at the very least, you got to fine them or suspend them or something. Yeah. Even if you're not going to make him quit or get fired or anything like that, like no punishment to me is just unacceptable. Yeah. No, it's absolutely insane. And then the NHL, Batman had a presser this past week, and it was maybe the most disastrous presser I've seen ever by any GM commissioner sports thing ever. Yeah, that was horrible. The amount of quotes and just like, oh my God, stuff that came out of that is like insane. Like from things like even like uh, they talked about how they've been in constant contact with Akeem Aliou and his rep. And his rep came out on Twitter and said, that's funny. I'm his rep. We haven't heard from them in over a year. Yeah, which is just just the most hockey thing in the world. They asked they were asked about why um, they only gave a $2 million fine when things like that Kovalchuk situation got $3 million uh, and they said different situations. You can't compare them. Yeah. Which you absolutely can compare them. <laughs> yes. Like you, you were literally admitting that you were taking draft pick compensation more seriously than sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah, even if uh, it gets brought up all the time that Gary Bettman's actually good at his job because he's a lawyer, uh, despite the fact that the NHL has grown at ridiculously small rates compared to uh, literally any other data point you're pointing at. But uh, just because they're not literally comparable, maybe in the court of law or whatever, you're still the NHL. People are going to draw that fucking comparison. And people are right to draw that comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's... You got three million for one thing and two million for the other. Like it's it's pretty simple. The thing you got two million dollars for then would not be as serious because you paid less money for it. Yep, three is bigger than two. Yeah, like <laughs> so. And then there was like I there was like three, four other quotes where it was like, "Holy shit, how are you saying this right now?" But um, yeah, just one of the most disastrous things. And like to the point where like apparently a couple owners are pissed off at Batman, but. He only needs eight owners approval to stay as the commissioner, which is the most fucking insane thing I've ever heard. Yeah, that is wild. I saw that on Twitter too. And I was like, 
You like, think you'd need a majority, right? Yeah, well, like, yeah, exactly. Like, when is the last time you've heard anything get voted on where it's like, if you get 25%, you're good. You're good, yeah. Especially <laughs> something as important as commissioner of a multi-billion dollar anything. Yeah, well, like, it just takes the point away from voting. Like, the yep. whole point of voting, like, or like the, I don't know, like, obviously getting very theoretical here, but, like, if you want to talk about like democracy or whatever, it's like majority wins is the idea, right? Yeah. Like saying you only need 25% of the vote to stay and do what you're doing. Just, I don't know. That, that was the most insane thing I'd ever heard. I was like, I, and like, it's so hilarious to me that he worked that into his contract too. Genius by him. Oh yes, absolutely. But it's like, oh yeah, by the way, just in case you guys get pissed off at me eventually, uh, you can't. You know, I only need eight of you guys. Yeah. yeah. And like, he's got like four of them. And like, I'm pretty sure uh, it's a boss, Jacobs, the Boston owner. Pretty sure they are like BFFs or whatever because Batman does exactly what he says. So yeah. he already has a yeah. pocket, a part of the league in his pocket. And he's apparently very influential. And at which point, all you need is like one really powerful friend and you can get a quarter of the votes. Yeah. So between that, inertia and a powerful friend done there's a quarter of votes in almost anything that's that small yeah so um just absolutely insanity uh i think that's probably a good place to wrap it up only a couple pieces of news this week but they were really big you know that that took uh almost an hour i think yeah which makes sense it's bigger quality over quantity this week yep absolutely so um thank you everyone for listening as always you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com Find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMLocky66. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.